0: Is coming and it's time for a bap. We're going to some and we'll have a good lap.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Get It Whacked, a the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Mac CC and meet some of the players and characters at the club, find out some things about them you never knew or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, Hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest. This man recently made his international T20 debut for Bulgaria versus Serbia at the Sofia T20 Associate Nation competition. He graduated through the Macclesfield Academy before making his senior debut in 2009. Infamous by association for his mum's sandwiches, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Aswad Khan. Azzy, how are you?
0: Hey, what an introduction, mate! No, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on.
1: No, I'm absolutely delighted to have you here. You've uh, you've been on the list for a while. You've been in great demand from all sorts of quarters, um, and I'm not talking about the sandwiches. There's another sandwich plug, mate. Well, well, of course, we'll get onto the sandwiches in due course. We've got a lot of uh, excellent stuff to talk about. Lots of great memories. Um, but my first question is, where are you currently?
0: All right, so I'm at the university in bulgaria and um, i study in a city called plevin um so yeah i'm at university for now.
1: and uh, obviously you're a, you're a long-term student i'm assuming um what do you want to tell us what you do when you're not playing cricket other than studying
0: yeah so i'm studying medicine mate um and aside from that um as in obviously a bit of cricket um, quite into my music and just hanging out with mates really
1: and how, how far down the sort of uh, medical career path are we have you, have you got many more years to do have you picked any sort of areas of specialism yet um, just totally overexposing myself as not having knowledge here about the uh, the medical profession but yeah where, where are you up to with it all
0: so I'm in my finally I'm in my final few months um, so hopefully I should be coming back to England for good um, in about May May time around that time
1: And are you looking to sort of move straight into a hospital or what's the sort of, uh, you know, next stage of the career path?
0: Yeah, so the plan is, um, as in 2022, start applying for jobs. Um, In that decision right now, whether I want to kind of stay up north or maybe move down south, I'm not too sure. Um, Obviously, there's the perks of being at home, getting my mum sandwiches um, and then, you know, maybe go down south, like experience London A lot of my mates are there as well. So I guess I just need to wait and see, really. But mainly, I think it's just wherever I get a job. I think that's the main thing.
1: Very, very good, mate. And uh, 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 have you, seven years, something like that, in terms of studying? You've done seven, eight years to be a doctor, is it?
0: Yeah. So, like, in England, it's five. Um, I've, over here, it's six. I've actually been out here for eight. Uh, So I was in the Czech, I started off, I moved to the Czech Republic. I was there for about four years. Um, And then I moved to Bulgaria about four years ago now. So I'm um, just sealing that
1: year. Very very good. It's uh, it's a long time to be a student but I'm sure you've made, uh, you know, every second of it count no doubt.
0: Miles no complaints mate. being a student it's not a bad life.
1: <laughs> very very good you're just a long way away from your mum's sandwiches i feel like we're building this up and uh, hopefully it's going to deliver later on when we when we finally come on to your mum's sandwiches but um anyway mate it obviously is a cricket podcast it's good to hear about what you're up to at the moment um next question what are your earliest cricketing memories
0: i as in my family are cricket crazy um as in i think most pakistani families are um but yeah so like you know all my family love cricket watching Pakistan games, all that sort of thing. Obviously, England games too, uh, but in the house, it was probably more Pakistan games. Um, and then I lived down the road from Karan Deepak, um, who, you know, he used to play Maxfield as well. Uh, and his dad, uh, Deepak, was like our coach. Deepak, uncle, actually. Like, we're very close family friends. Um, and I was, I was, I think, seven years old, maybe. Was I seven or nine? I was really young. Um, and then he was just like, Yeah, I think I was seven. And he was like, come down to the cricket club. And I was like, I mean, yeah, sure. And then I just loved it. Um, And back then, we didn't have an under nine. So I kind of just trained with the under 11s and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, that was, I think that was my first memory. They, They got me into cricket. Um, And just, yeah, obviously fell in love with it ever since. You mentioned obviously
1: starting out as probably an under nine maybe, but actually playing with the under 11s. Um, And and yeah, I know obviously you've got a lot of fond memories and and some of your coaches.
0: Mate, Mark was, I mean, Mac days, especially junior cricket days, were just so good. Um, I remember my first game actually, I was thinking about this yesterday, that my first game, as in I was what a little kid playing for the under 11s, and Pete Barron at that time was he was the guy. Like I, I, as in he played Cheshire. I don't know if he was captain. Um, I don't know if he played North England at some point as well. But anyways, I remember first game I played with him. It was those days where you batted for four overs um and then you'd finish. But I think he scored like a good 25 not out. And I think I might have scored about two or three just to get him on strike. Um, but <laughs> they were they were good times. I remember that still even watching like Pete in the Nets, I was like, that guy's so good. Um, but then just growing through, like we always had, like, we always had really good teams, to be honest. We would, like, you know, in each year. So that year you had, like, Pete Baron. I think the next year you had that crop of, like, Karan, Upshirt, Akil, like, those lot. The year below you had, like, Matt Fry, um, those guys. And in, in like, my year, um, like, Matt Fry, Jake Warner, Alex McCann, these guys are, like, again, like, really good players. Um, and then in my year it was, like, you know, me and, me and Crossy were like captain and vice captain just through the year groups from literally from under 11s till under 18s. And like, obviously, Crossy's gone on to be first team captain. Um, but all those times were just just so good. Um, and even coaches wise, like I had, you know, like Parks, Stuart, Roger, John Ramsey, Paul Dickinson. I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. Um, but I, I like all the coaches I had at MAP were amazing as well.
1: And obviously, you mentioned, um, not to single anybody out in particular, but I'm going to. Um, you mentioned uh, Alfie Stewart Garnett there. Um, yeah. do you, have you got any sort of uh, memories of any sort of intense batting sessions with Alfie? We know how much Alfie loves his cricket and obviously his coaching. Um, yeah, and any sort of memories of Alfie throwing multiple balls at you? Maz,
0: I'm going to have to say it's more nightmares, to be honest. Because, like, there's <laughs> no, no, there's, there was nothing worse than like you're having a nice little net session. And then Stuart would just pick up the ball and you're like, oh, no, come on. Like, even to this day, I don't reckon I'd be able to play him. Like, I know, and the way the thing is, I know he's a batsman back in the day as well. But I always remember, like, A, he's really, really tall. So then the ball would bounce, obviously, a lot. Um, and then he'd do all, I said no. he had, like, a weird action. He'd come out from the back of his hand and all these sorts of things. Like, pacing, like, cutters and all this. Like, no, I don't, I don't want to play Stuart. Like, that. I think that's my main... My main Stuart Garnet memory, but obviously he coached us as well. Um and in that year I think we had a pretty good team too. Um so all all good memories with Stuart.
1: Well, I, I have to relate to you somewhat here, mate, and and as much as you mentioned sort of uh, trying to avoid Stuart Garnet in the Nets at all possible um moments as a as a junior, I still do it now, you know. I mean I'm not exactly famed for my batting as he is you're probably aware, but if if on the rare occasions I am batting in the Nets and Stuart got, I see Stuart sort of Traipsing over the uh, outfield with his black coffin, um, I I I make a quick exit from the net before he turns up with his bowling off the wrong foot leg cutters and, and just making me look even more stupid than than I do by myself. So
0: yeah, it's time to get her, isn't it?
1: I'm not the only one, mate. If you send him into the first team net, and um, you know, p- p- he just makes people look silly. Um, it's it's you know, we're, we're very lucky. Much um, I'm I'm sort of pulling his leg in, and and pulling my own leg. Um, we're very lucky that he's still at the the tender age of uh, well, you know, you don't like to say whatever he is, but he's still a young fit man. Let's he's put 20, it that way. He, Twenty-one, um, right? Makes his appearances for the third team, and and you know, I bring him on to bowl, and it's just kind of like cheating. I mean, people people. Yeah, yeah, can- yeah. Batsman plays shots him. They miss the ball by about six inches. He, he, his economy is about 0.02 and he never gets any wickets because um, people can't lay a bat on it. But um, no, it's, it's, it's always nice to hear memories of Stew and, and uh, yeah, Alfie is, Alfie is still an absolute nightmare in the Nets, mate. So uh, don't, don't beat yourself up too much.
0: No, top top guy, top player as well.
1: Yeah, very much so. So you you mention a few names there of sort of contemporaries and things like that. Um, who who were the people that were in your your age group and your team? Obviously, you mentioned uh, Crossy, first team captain James Cross um, as captain, and, and yourself probably vice captain there. Um, who else were some of the players in in your sort of age group?
0: Miles, I'm going to have to actually steal the limelight from Crossy for a second. Like, I was I was captain through the age groups, Crossy.
1: Crossy was my vice, Miles. Oh, Azzy, I'm I'm so sorry. I, I'm just exposing my complete lack of uh, credible journalism to to the uh, to the entire universe. Or you know, uh, I just I
0: just have to say that because I know Crossy will probably hear it, so he just needs to know this.
1: <laughs> well, look, I mean, I don't want to say anything, mate, but you know, if you if you're looking for the big job, I'm sure we can uh, we can we can arrange a coup. Just say the word.
0: I mean, as I told you, I'm back in four months, right? So crossy, like, enjoy, enjoy your captaincy once you can.
1: <laughs> this is what we came for, the quality content. No, uh, all joking aside, um, apart from the, the possible coup um, of, of Aswad Khan stealing the first team captaincy on his return to England, um, yeah, contemporaries. Who, who else are some of the p- sort of notable names in your age group?
0: As I mentioned, like, what, Pete Barron. Um, I think this is, again, when I first joined. it, was like Pete Barron, Alex Griffiths in that year. Um, but then the lads who I'd probably played more with, um, like that. I think the first crop, like the first year group I really played with was that you know, Karan Deepak, like his year, um, uh, when he was captain. Um, but then I think the best team, like there was two teams that I think I was probably very close with. So one was, um, in our under 15s year, we had we had such a good team. Uh, we had like what Jake Warner, Matt Fry. Uh, Alex McCann Crossy uh, Chris Bigley like these guys it was, it was just such a good side um, and I think the first half of the season is a bit of a season of two halves so like in, in like back then I don't know how it is now but in the first half of the season you'd have like your initial groups um, and then from that like depending on your position you'd qualify for a position in the second half of the league so I think in the first half we were unbeaten we qualified for the championship, and then I think when we were in the championship, we barely won any games. Uh, but we we should have done because we had we had a really 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 good team. Uh, but then there was also another year group, which again the year younger. So like obviously Crossy again. Uh, we had like Jake Dickinson, Tom Ramsey, um, like Ben Lucas, Elliot Fairclough. Again, like really good sides, both both teams really good and good lads as well. Very, very good.
1: Um, Elliot is, uh, you know, perennially someone we keep trying to uh, entice back to the club, but yeah, yeah, I I think he's uh, he's too busy pursuing other avenues currently. um, Much as we get stuck into Paolo, and whenever we see Elliot, we we try and bully him into a game. But
0: love Paolo, as I just got to mention that in now. Love Paolo
1: a lot of time for paulo
0: legend, and what a beard what a beard greatest beard at the club just got to throw that in there
1: well it's it's nice to hear sort of some of your stories about sort of contemporaries and uh you know there's a lot of chat there about james cross which is always a horrible thing um and i try to avoid it all all costs but um look there are a few stories that that have been uh, mentioned to me one we've built up um Well, frankly, rather a lot already, um, which is about the the sandwiches, of course. And like, nobody's actually told me what the the full context of this is. But four different people have messaged
0: me. Oh, are you counting Boss Rockers? Are you counting Boss Rockers, four different people?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Um, Yeah, there's been a couple of mentions about your mum's sandwiches. So please, you know, set the table, dish up the sandwiches and tell us what it's all about.
0: All right, Miles. So obviously I'm giving my mum a shout out right now. Um so the way the way my sandwiches would work um is you know, before cricket, um to be fair, even now, if I'm playing cricket now, I'd still get mum to make my sandwiches just to throw that in there. You're never too old to get your mum to make your sandwiches, just gotta throw that in there. But um yeah, so whenever I'd have cricket, the sandwiches, the way it would work at home is it wouldn't just be a normal like, you know, cheese and tomato sandwich or anything like that whatever mum's an unbelievable cook and whatever was in the fridge like let's say like any like masala or anything she'd make sandwiches out of that which is just it's just unbelievable right so then you know i'd, I'd get them out of my bag and whenever we'd be batting you know I'd, I'd just bring them over just try and try and quietly eat them but you know boss nothing escapes bostock's nose. so then i'd i'd have bostock just you know catch a whiff and come over be, oh mate what are you eating and I know what he means by "what you eating." He means, "Can I have half of your sandwiches?" So then it was. It, so then, yeah, obviously, I'd have to give. I'd have to share with Bostock, and he's is one thing you'll never forget. Whenever I chat with Bostock about how how are you doing and how are you mum's sandwiches, so
1: I mean, what what's amazing to me is that you, you're only throwing Bostock under the bus for for having trying to eat half of your sandwiches. I suppose. That perhaps what happened was that Bostock ate half and Crossy ate the other half because I wouldn't want to argue with either of those two gentlemen about food.
0: Crossy's, I don't mind with Crossy because it'd be a bit of a fair exchange because, you know, Crossy's grandparents who are are the best people at the club. I think everyone can agree on that. Um, So, you know, Chris and Graham, they come to every game. Um, And obviously, obviously, Sandra and Vic as well. Um, But, and, uh, and Linda and Steve. But yeah, so. Chris would always bring sandwiches for us anyway. So that's a bit of a fair exchange. I'd get lovely sandwiches from Chris. So that works out. But, you know, Bostock I can wait for my exchange,
1: mate. I mean, what what I can say there is I, I wholeheartedly support your uh, your statements there. And, and you will be pleased to know that Christabel still, to this day, brings an unbelievable amount of food to, to for, for Crossy to, to any game of cricket at home. To the extent that, you know, Jobs at the end of the and at the end of the game, people are scurrying and climbing out of the changing room to avoid having to clean the changing room because there is crisp packets, cake wrappers, tins, sweets, just all manner of of detritus, frankly, everywhere, and it is unbelievable just to, just to see the state that that Crossy's area in the changing room is. Um, once he's devoured whatever christabel has bought for him, um, but I'm sure he'll have the taste for uh, for the sandwiches now that you've whet his appetite.
0: I mean, Mars, as I said, you're never told to get your mum to make your sandwiches, so if your grandma's making them, you, you're not allowed to say no.
1: <laughs> well, talking across um, he did also tell me a couple of other quite interesting stories. He would like me to ask you about playing onion cricket.
0: Onion mean, is this? Is this at, Is that at Christabel's? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think so. He, he he also said I needed to ask you about a water balloon.
0: Oh, I've got. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it a bit of a. There's a bit of a build up to Crossy and like us having garden cricket and stuff. So, basically, I lived. I used to live near near Saint John's in Macclesfield, up the road from there. So I'd always like you know my I had great next door neighbours who I played footy with, but I didn't have anyone to play cricket with. But then there was like a wall across my house, so like you know I'd play wallie against the wall. Or I play cricket, like you know, throwing a tennis ball against the wall and driving it, sort of thing. So then, anyways, we lived there till I was about, I don't know, like nine years old. Um, and then we moved. And then after that, we moved to Tiddie. And then Crossy joined the cricket club. Um, and then we just became good mates straight away. And then he invited me over to his grand like you know, grandparents' house. And then I went over and we were going over, and then I was like, why are we so near our old house? And then we were literally across the road. Like he lived like there's there's a road there and then like at the end of the road you cross the road and literally chris and graham lived there and then i'm having lunch and they were saying that we always saw a kid playing like football and cricket across the road and crossy always wanted to go play with him but they were like oh no 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 and then turns out it was me so i lost like what a good a good nine years of like having a mate to play with so then and after that I'd spend my life at Crossy's grandparents so like I think that's a bit of a sad story to start things off, but what, what it could have been, what it could have been, Miles.
1: <laughs> and where does the onion and the water balloon come into it?
0: So then, obviously, I'd go over to Crossies, and we just kind of play cricket with whatever we could. So then I'd say, I'd say water balloon was the best, though. So it'd be just like, we'd be playing with water balloons, but obviously, like cricket with water balloons, but obviously, you end up just bowling beavers, because there's only one goal in mind, right? If you're playing cricket with water blues, there's literally just one goal. And then we'd be playing like what cricket with onions off about I don't know off about ten yards. But then yeah, it was, it was, it was a good time. It was a good time.
1: Oh, and just and just to round out this uh, this classic partnership. Now he wasn't sure about the validity of this story, but he he seems to remember you once got left on a train to Stoke.
0: Oh, and it is no, no, it's not a train. Oh, I didn't have to bring this so up, Crossy. Thanks, mate. I, it's not it's not it's not a stoke. So we had a game against what Stockport, I think it was Stockport Georgians. Um this was this was sadly under 15, so I'm I'm way too old to, for this story like you know to have taken place. But um all right, so we're going, we're playing against Stockport Georgians, I think. And um so I get to the ground. I'm. by the way, first thing is I was always late. I was you know, I was always the one to, to you know get told off being late. So then I'm like, yeah, mum, the game's away, it's at Stockport Georgians. So we get there and then We're really early for once. And then I take my kit bag out of the car. And then I'm like, oh, everyone's early. Let me just go in the changing room. So when I get in, everyone will be like, oh, how's it? You're early. So then um, I'm waiting there. And then in walks Adam Siddle, who's in the year below me. And he plays for Stockport Georgians. And I'm thinking, why is he playing under 15s when he's like 13? And then I asked him, I was like, oh, mate, are you playing today? And then he's like, yeah. And then I think some more younger kids came in. And I was like, wait, what age group's playing? And then they were like, oh, it's like under 13s. And I was like, oh my God, you're joking. So then I ringed like the Mac and Mac. So actually what turned out is the under 15s are playing at home and I'd gone all the way to Stockport with mum. So then I get in the car, I'm like, mum, let's go, let's go. So then we get to Mac. And then again, it was, we used to just turn up in whites, but at this stage, it got to the point where you're not really allowed to turn up in whites anymore because it's village. So then I've got there. Uh, and then I get out of the car and I'm in like, you know, my jeans and t-shirt, whatever. And then I open the boot. And literally the lads are going out just before we essentially start. So I was just in time. Obviously, I've left my kit bag in Stockport. So then I was like, you're joking. And then we were fielding first. And like I, I opened the bowling then. So then obviously I can't remember who was. I think I think that might have been the time we had like Nick Coleman and Nick Warner, legends as well. I forgot to mention them with the coaching stuff. Um, but yeah, so then obviously they weren't happy. And then they've gone back to, my mum's gone to Stockport whilst I'm waiting there in jeans just on the sidelines. So she's gone to Stockport. And then by like by the time she's back, there's a rule that you're not allowed to come on the field for as long as you were ready to play or something like this. So then I only was able to bowl like two overs at the end. And, like, yeah, Miles, it was just an absolute shambles. But like, I'm glad there weren't fines at under 15s, because that would have been very hefty. That
1: would have been a lot of sandwiches you'd owed.
0: Oh, my days. It would have been. It would have been. So so my mum would have had to suffer from my mistakes again.
1: Oh, no. Nightmare. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, lastly, ra- rounding out some of the, the little funnies and, and, and whatnot. Um, your great pal, Haminda Froggy Matharu.
0: Oh, what a, what a guy! What
1: a guy! He would he would like you to confirm or deny whether it was in fact you that was seen riding a white horse down the road outside Old Trafford with a very large Pakistani <laughs> flag during the 2019 World Cup because he has it on good authority it was you. Uh,
0: I would I would say yes, but we got absolutely hammered <laughs> that game, so I'm going to say no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, 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 for that reason, if we won, then that'll be my profile picture to
1: this <laughs> day. So, he at the time of this game, he was so desperately trying to convince me it was you. He was sending me <laughs> all these messages and these pictures saying, Oh my God, have you seen Assie? Have you seen Azzy? <laughs> he's, so r- he's riding a horse down uh, outside Old Trafford. <laughs> Of course, to which I did not bite one one iota. But to this day, he's still convinced that it was you on the big...
0: Why didn't he get me in on it? I would have said really he stayed along. <laughs> I haven't gone along with it now. Foggy, come on,
1: mate. Right, mate. What what I'd like to do next is, is move on to uh, some stats for Mac. We we like a bit of stat badgering. I don't know whether you do. Um, and then a couple of games that I'd like to talk about. One for Macclesfield. And then, um, obviously, to cover uh, you know, your your recent foray into the world of international cricket for Bulgaria. But, um, yeah, we're going to cover the stats first, mate. Just have a little talk about these. Are you much of a stats man?
0: Oh, mate, I'm a cricket badger, so of course I'll.
1: Of course you are. Perfect. Well, we're going to cover the batting stats first, mate. Um, Obviously, the usual caveat. I'm sure you are going to tell me there's all sorts of, uh, you know, excellent runs missing from your scores here. But uh, in total, you've played 146 games for Macclesfield, 110 innings, 29 not outs, scoring 1,367 runs with a high score of 86 and scoring 650s. And any uh, any big hundreds missing from there from play cricket, obviously.
0: Oh mate, I'd I'd love to say so, but sadly not. I don't I don't think I have scored like the hundred in the garden, mate.
1: <laughs> oh dear. Well, you know, there's there's quite a bit of stats here over the years. I mean, in two thousand and nine, which is I think your earliest sort of senior game, uh, you played twenty four games. Two thousand and ten, twenty six games. Um, so you know, I, th- I think you probably do have a reasonable amount of stats here and then uh, sort of moving on to the bowling stats uh, we haven't had this question for a while on the podcast has he? but um are you sort of uh, do you like to think of yourself as an all-rounder obviously you mentioned open the bowling there you no know, you can obviously bat you know which under the bat to hold
0: i'd say i'm to be honest mate um like more so more so in 50 over cricket um as in i'll get into it a bit more but i, I would say yeah i'm a, i'd say i'm a bowling all-rounder
1: bowling all-rounder well let's cover the bowling stats here then buddy um in total you've bowled 430.5 overs uh for macrosfield 52 maidens taking 118 wickets with a best of five for seven um average 14.7 striking at 21 decent numbers there i would say for the bowling you pretty pleased with that
0: yeah pretty happy
1: with that very very good um Fielding, I'm sure there's gonna be all sorts of catches
0: missing, although you're not keeping probably, so you... probably best probably best. You know you said all rounder, that excludes fielding. So let's just not get into that, mate.
1: Well, seventeen catches on on record, mate. Pleasingly no stumping, so you clearly haven't ever kept. <laughs> um yeah. Any any sort of going back to the bowling and the batting there, anything jumping out of the you that you're pleased about or you know you wish you'd done a bit more on? is it
0: on on the all-rounder side of it. I really wanted to get in the first team. Like it became a big goal. Um, And then I think I had a good preseason. And then first game, I think Ben Morrison was captain then. Top bloke as well. Um, And he said, like, oh, like, you know, I I didn't even know I was in contention. He was like, oh, like, you're playing twos uh, because we need a bit of batting there as well. Uh, But, you know, like, keep working hard. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, And then that season, like, you know, I was working hard on my bowling. And then I got injured after, like, the second game bowling. So then I ended up just batting for the season. So I think that was the point maybe... I started batting a bit more out of force, um, so I'd say from then I became more of a genuine all rounder.
1: Very, very good. So moving on to uh, a couple of games here now, Asy. There's, um, you know, there's a game from Macclesfield you're quite keen to talk about. Um, this is from the fourth of May, two thousand and thirteen. Um, this is the second eleven Premier Division Macclesfield Twos versus Ermston Twos. Um, Macclesfield won the toss and elected to field, with Ermston posting 205 all-out in 47.2 overs. Um, by the looks of it, yourself, you opened the bowling with a certain Barney Cutbill bill that day. Um, what do you remember uh, about, firstly, the Ermston innings, and, and obviously come on to tell us why you were keen to talk about this game?
0: Yeah, so, I think mean, that's the game. We lost that game, didn't we? Uh, if yes. Right, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. We bowled, I think we bowled first and then um like, you know, the ball, it wasn't, it was more about the second innings. I think that was the reason I was like, this is a good game to speak about. I made a rule in my head, batting wise, that I'm literally not going to play anything that's not on the stump. So I was opening the batting. So I was like, I'm just going to anchor and anything outside off stump, I'm just, I'm just not touching it. Even if it's juicy, I'm just not playing it. So then I ended up staying in like that whole innings and it was, it was really scratchy. I don't think I was in good nick, but, you know, I, I played it through. And then we ended up having a collapse, like, near, well, I don't know, I think we needed maybe 10 or 15 to win. And then we had a bit of a collapse. Um, and then I think we needed maybe two or three to win. And it was like last man in. Um, so at that point, obviously, it's a case where if you, if we, if we got out, we'd lost the game or we'd win. And there was no, there was no drawing, that whole drawing side had gone. And then I got out with like three games to go. And I remember I was absolutely, absolutely gutted. Uh, But the reason I wanted to speak about this um, is so after the game, I got a message um, like from unknown number on my phone, um, just saying like, hi, like uh, this is Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Ward, Jack Ward's dad, Um, like, you know, one of the first team players. Um, And I was just, you know, I watched you batting um, and I was just wondering if you wanted to do a bit of work together and I mean obviously I was like absolutely and you know I know how good war is as well um, but I hadn't met Malcolm at this point point. Um, and then I was like yeah absolutely and then from there like that was actually just maybe the summer before I went to uni um, like ever since then every time I come home um, I just do work with Malcolm and he'll like he'll even now he'll send me messages how's it going what's this he'll send me videos here and there but um, yeah, I just had to mention Malcolm. Really, I think that's why I wanted to mention that story because what a, what a great bloke, what a great coach, um, and he just he just loves the game. He just absolutely loves it. So. Um yeah, that's
1: why I wanted to mention that game, Miles. Well, I mean, I am going to cover a few other bits in here because um, you had a pretty decent game. I know you, you're you always keen to say it's not all about you and you didn't want to talk about how well you'd done or whatever. But as I say, you opened the bowling, seven overs, no maidens, two for 25, picking up a couple of wickets there. Uh, Barney Cutbill, 12.2 overs, three maidens, three for 63. Uh, very 5.1. important to point out that Barney went at 5.1 overs, at 5.1 <laughs> runs and over... And um, I'm I'm almost certain that uh, all of his wickets were caught, no <laughs> doubt um probably on the boundary uh just just to add that in and uh, (laughs) as you mentioned um you scored 61 that day you must have had a a pretty decent partnership um well you'd have had a little partnership with elliot Faircliff though scored 13 but a decent partnership with uh with adnan khan there
0: oh adnan what a guy adnan what what a guy he hit the ball so hard
1: yeah he 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 still hits the ball unbelievably hard um, yeah Adnan what what a guy that's about the best way you can put it um, and then yeah it must have got tense towards the end of the game there because Mark Knight with 14 uh, coming in at 7 um, and then Stephen Whittingham got 28 but unfortunately was, was out um, leaving DC and then Tony Moores presumably batting with yourself and Tony Moores the legend that is not, not out there um, and anything you want to say to Tony about that, that last wicket partnership
0: oh. Tony, I'm sorry I can't pull through. It still hurts. I, I literally remember, I felt like, I felt like that, um, that, you know, the 2005 Ashes, when England, you know, when we won that last, you know, that last wicket. And I remember there was like, there's like a scene of like Brett Lee and like Flintoff just like comforts him. I felt like Brett Lee on the ground that day. I was absolutely, I was absolutely devastated. Imagine batting like 40-odd over, scraping a scrappy 60-odd. And then we lost. Oh man, Miles! I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget it, mate.
1: Hopefully, we can move on to talk about a slightly more enjoyable game for you, which is a little bit more recent. Um, and it's uh, it's a game from the aforementioned Sofia 2020 competition. Uh, Bulgaria playing Greece. Um, but before we kind of get into the game, obviously you know mentioned that you've you've recently become uh, an international player for Bulgaria. Um, firstly, I just thought it'd be interesting to hear about how that came about, um, and perhaps you can tell us a little bit um, about your debut, receiving your Bulgarian cap. There's uh, lots of stuff on social media and then in the news back here. Um, so yeah, how how was uh, how was that?
0: Yeah, so miles like when I joined my uni here, um, like even uh, actually wherever I've been, we've kind of started more active local cricket. Just again, it's just spreading the love of the game, really. So like when we were, I was in the Czech Republic before and over there we had like, I think we picked like the 10 best players at uni and it was, they were all like 10 really, really good players. And we had the same, like we had a five on five, same team for the whole year. And we play like twice a week. And looking back, the standard was really good, uh, but that was a good time. And we named it like the NPL, uh, which is like the Nejedin Premier League. But that was that was a really good time. And then I came to Bulgaria. Then what about four years ago? Um, and we had one tournament a year here, and then we had a tournament, we had a tournament or a match against some of the universities. But obviously, like without us having regular cricket in our own city and like you know regular cricket, regular practice it wasn't going to be easy to compete with the other unis. So, you know, with a, with the help of a few of the lads, um, we started a league in Pleasant, Um, and it was, you know, we had four teams. We got four sponsors for each team, uh, kind of tried to make it a bit you got the social media stuff going, uh, like all equipment kit paid for. And then we started having an indoor league, which was amazing because like it was, it was like really fast paced. It was really competitive. We did a bit of a draft. We had like, a trial of like where we picked the best 24 players and then the four captains picked like you know six players each so we got that going in plevin and that was that was amazing it was really good um and hopefully when covid blows over uh, a bit more we'll be allowed to get the indoor cricket going again because you know indoor cricket's amazing um but then anyways to the bulgaria stuff so we had a tournament then um in sofia which is the capital of bulgaria uh we had that in october um so, you know, I had, I had a decent day with the ball um, and then I I think I messaged actually the captain of Bulgaria first, uh, just asking if there's any club cricket in Sofia, um, which is about three hours away. But I was like, I'd love to come down. And to be honest, if there was, I would have been more than happy to do it if there's regular cricket because, you know, playing proper hardball cricket is different. Um, And then, you know, he was like, yeah, sure. And then he was actually, I wanted to ask um, how many years have you lived in Bulgaria? So when he said that, I knew what was coming. Uh, Because there's a rule that if you're, the ICC rule is if you've played, uh, sorry, if you've lived in a country for three years, uh, then you can be legible for that team's selection. Um, So like, you know, I think actually that rule might have changed with Joffrey Archer around that time. Because I think he lived in England for three years. I'm not comparing, obviously, English cricket and associate cricket. Um, but like, you know, I think that that was when that three year rule might have changed. I think it used to be five. Um, but then now it's obviously three years. Um, and then yeah, so then he he said that, and then um, you know, he's like, Would you be interested in trialing or something? And I was like, I mean, obviously I'd love to. Um, so then he sent over the paperwork. Um, and that was exciting in itself because all the paperwork had like icc on it, and I was just thinking, this is so cool. I was was so excited, obviously. Um, So then filled out that paperwork and then things took a bit longer because obviously then COVID, you know, picked up more, Uh, even though it was actually going on in the October tournament time. But then, you know, cricket went on hold again. Um, And then I got a message. um, I got a message from him uh, saying that if I'd want to come, there was meant to be a camp here. um, And he said, if I'd want to come over for a trial camp, um, so I was like, you know, of course I would so then he told me the dates I was already, you know, practicing tried to get fit for it and everything like this um, and then I think the camp got cancelled um, I can't remember, maybe it was bad weather or something like this so then he told me that, you know um, I'm, I'm sorry but we won't be able to this time um, and he's like, hopefully in the future because uh, the, the tournament was still going to the, the Continental Cup that I played in was still going to take place so then he was like, you know, we've decided to go ahead with the people we already have. Um, and then I messaged him. I was like, mate, look, just let me come through. If you if you bring me through, I'll show that, like, I should play. Because uh, I kind of thought at this point, I might as well. I might as well give it a push, because what's the point of not? Um, so then I gave it a little push. Um, and then I, I think he liked that. Um, so then, um, yeah, so then I came through for the day before the tournament was starting there was like a, tra- a a training session of the squad so then I came through that training session I had a decent day um, and then like at the end of the day I thought that was a selection thing but I think I was already in because uh, then at the end of that session then they gave me the training kit um, and then I went to the hotel um, and you know it was quite cool even that like I was at the hotel um, and then I saw like the the teams from Greece and Serbia and Romania in their training kits and all that sort of thing and I was just like this is really cool. But yeah that's kind of how it happened.
1: Fantastic. And then leading on to to that tournament obviously there's a, a match you were, you were keen to talk about as I said Bulgaria versus Greece. Um I'll let you take it away. Tell us about this game.
0: Actually my debut was against Serbia uh, which was the day before. Um uh, now I'll, I'll, I'll be honest like you know I didn't have the best game. Uh, Sprayed it a bit a few wires here and there. Um, and then the next day, I think two days after. So then my next game I played was against Greece. Um, and then I think before that game. Uh, so in Sofia, the boundaries are tiny, like especially the third man boundary anyway. So then it's even a case where like if you bowl like you know, if you bowl medium pace, let's say, um, you, you do fly off the edge. Like you can get edge for six, like if they really slash hard. Um, so I remember before that game, like captain and vice captain were like, look, we just want you to roll line and length. And obviously like the inner Pakistani in me is like, that's very difficult for me. Um, but I was like, all right. As in, I think at that point, as, as in it's probably the first time I've really, like, because I stopped really playing consistent senior cricket since I was about 18. And now I'm 26. So I think now I was kind of like, I probably just need to listen to the experience of like you know skipper and vice captain because uh, they've both played obviously quite a lot at this level. Um, so then I was like, okay, um, I'll, I'll just do that. So then I, I felt like I was trundling in, just kind of bowling meads. But you know, according to the game plan, it was working. Um, and then I remember I got like I think two wickets. Was I on a hat trick? I think I was on a hat trick. Um, so then from having a bit of a shocking first game. Then my you know second game was on a hat trick, hat trick ball. You know didn't get the hat trick obviously, um, but just yeah that was that was exciting. Um, so yeah, that's finally got my stats on Crick info, which is exciting. But you know even then, hopefully, hopefully uh, there's more international cricket to come after that. But even that tournament, so we played. Um, it was with Greece, Romania, Serbia. Um, and then we qualified for the knockout stages. Um, so in the group game, we beat Greece, who we ended up playing in the semi-final. So there was four teams: uh, top first played fourth, second played third. So we were second, so we played against Greece in the semis. And that semi-final game was so so close. Um, and then it started raining, but then in the second innings, I think. To be honest, I'd say they—it's a bit of a mix. I'd say they were probably on top, like, but then also I think we got their best batsman out, so it was it was semi-level. But then it started raining, and then it just started raining really hard. So then it was again. This was really cool. I think the umpires called the ICC or something, and I was like, "This is nuts! Like, what's (laughs) like, what's going on?" Uh, But then we ended up qualifying for the final. Um, and yeah, we came we came second. So I've got um, we didn't actually get medals, um, but um, yeah, proud to say I'm an international silver medalist, which is which is really cool.
1: Fantastic, and I'm sure there will be uh, hopefully many more caps, runs, and wickets for you uh, for Bulgaria in the the years, the seasons to come.
0: Hopefully, hopefully.
1: Now, as he, um obviously. We like to have a lot of laughs here on Get It Whacked and, and take a trip down memory lane, discuss some of your memories and your experiences, have a few funnies in there, you know, with all our guests. Um, but for the next half of the podcast, I would like to, to switch the focus to, to much more serious issue. Um, following the recent revelations, um, of course, by Azim Rafiq about Yorkshire Cricket Club and subsequently the implications uh, about racism, diversity and inclusivity in the wider game of cricket. As a proud British Pakistani, I thought this would be a very, very good opportunity to allow you to talk about perhaps your experiences within cricket um, covering those issues of, of, of racism and diversity, um, not only at Macclesfield, but, you know, further afield in, in the wider game. So I just really want to give you that opportunity to to speak about that, um, perhaps offer your perspective and indeed, hopefully um, allow us to, you know, give some education to people and just really talk about what is a, a very serious and, and difficult issue
0: for the game at large. So Mars, before I get onto this segment, uh, well, sorry, before we get onto this segment, um, I just want to say a big thank you to you and to Mac for actually making the time to speak about this. Yeah. And also for giving me the opportunity to speak about it. It's something obviously I'm very passionate about. You know, I'm, I'm really proud to be the person actually having an opportunity to speak about this. So thank you very much. So I actually also want to just give a little disclaimer that um, any of these incidences I'm going to speak about, um, I'm not going to mention any names. Uh, because for me, that's not what this is about And any of these incidences, um, like, you know, I'm not going to mention the institution's names, but obviously two plus two, I'm sure people will figure it out. But any of the things I mentioned are specific to the people and they're not specific to the institutions where these people were a part of, because anytime in any of these institutions I've ever been a part of where I've reported racism, it's always been dealt with very well. So that's a thank you in advance to the institution I'm a part of. And just just please don't connect the two uh, before I get into anything a bit more. So I'll start with actually with, you know, school days. Um, So, you know, my parents moved to England uh, like the year before I was born. And one of the big reasons they put me and my sister into private education, and actually I think it was the main reason is, you know, so we experienced less racism than they felt we would. Um, if we were at a public school. So, you know, I think though we did experience quite a lot, I think me more than my sister, if I'm correct, because uh, I think with guys it is just a bit different in like sporting atmospheres and things like this. Um, but I think, you know, that that was one of the main reasons and we experienced maybe less than we would have done. But even if we experienced less than we would have done, I think it, it was a case where because of the environment we were in, maybe what we experienced was like a bit more covert. So like, you know, just to put that in other words, maybe it was a bit, you know, a bit more subtle than it would have been otherwise. So yeah, I'll get into things a bit more about how it kind, how it kind of was. And like, this does include, like, I'll try and connect it with cricket as much as I possibly can. So with the Azim Rafiq side of things, like I think most South Asians whether cricket related or not cricket related like you know cricket fans listening to it or even just minorities in general I am going to try and focus a bit more on the South Asian side of things because I think it's something to discuss um but just speaking about you know all ethnic minorities really that listen to it I don't think anyone was surprised which I think I think that's I think that's sad more than anything but even like just for me personally, I was listening to it and I was my reaction to these revelations and things coming out was more just like, I'm so glad that someone's speaking about this, but not really that I can't believe this happened. I was just the case of like I'm not surprised. Like I'm just I'm just glad it's kind of out in the open. I'm going to speak a bit about Azim Rafiq, but not too much because I think really and truly, everyone who's listening to this um, probably is quite well read on that and knows things in detail. So I'm just going to mention one thing that. Azim Rafiq said in his test, like in his testimonies, um, he said one thing about Michael Vaughan that Michael Vaughan might not remember, as it didn't mean anything to him. And I think in the whole thing about Azim Rafiq, that was the one thing that really touched me because I found that really relatable. Um, so I'll explain why. So, like, um, actually, and he also mentioned on the same lines about Joe Root that joe didn't say anything but he said he was um he was present when like gary balance said some of the things he did and he said also that you know rooty was a very good guy and he is a very good guy but it just says a lot that a lot of these things would happen and people would just be passive and just you know be there and they didn't do anything because again it was just so things are just so normalized so i'm going to link that a bit into my personal experiences so like with that like if i connect these things to like the point i said about michael vaughan that you know he might not remember is it didn't mean anything to him i think a lot of this happened at school where like school and uh, like cricket and just a thing of a lot of it would seem harmless like you know there's things that are malicious like people saying the p word but then there's things like you know people making terrorist jokes which i think that's one of the things i hated the most just general constant curry jokes people being like oh like cricket wise you would have caught it if it was a chapati like asian accents just like unnecessarily and just like you know it's it's never actually necessary right and one of uh like arranged marriage jokes and just all all these sorts of things you know people might think that "Oh, like you know it's just it's just it's just banter really but then one of my friends um Omer, uh americ bunny he wrote an article recently that was in al jazeera um and he wrote he said a quote which i found quite again relatable that he said there's a special type of humiliation when you're insulted about something you have absolutely no power over um and that's that's really true so like you know with all of these things it's a case where people might just think it's banter and whatnot but when you're when you're the only person like especially in a minority situation let's say if I was the only Asian guy in like a predominantly white school, you kind of take it to an extent because you realize you've got to pick your battles a bit. So like, you know, my, my way of going about it, everyone has different ways, but maybe I was a bit luckier that I was quite, I'm quite a loud guy. And if anyone said anything to me, I'd maybe just give them like, you know, times to stick back. And that's just the way I've gone about it. And I always have, so maybe things that didn't get to me as much as other people but then I feel more for those other guys maybe weren't as loud who were a bit quieter and just had to kind of take these things in silence and maybe they didn't have the people to back them up.
1: he first the uh, just a few things for me obviously um, you know I know myself and, and the club were, were really keen to kind of allow you this this sort of floor space or air time if you like to talk about these issues um, and one of the things that personally I'm, I'm really trying to do is is to not kind of uh, interject too much here because i think it's really important that you are allowed the space to kind of make the points and talk about the things that you want to without necessarily um me um perhaps coming across as sort of leading leading the conversation or uh you know anything that i perhaps do with the normal sort of side of the podcast but a couple of things i, I just want to sort of pick up on there um but before we do that i mean you know I have to say a lot of credit to you. It takes a lot of uh, sort of bravery um, in these situations um, to to come forward and speak about things. And I know you you mentioned there about um, you say, oh, thank God someone like Azim Rafiq has has done what he's done. But, you know, the same can be said about you. It it takes a lot to to step forward and and talk about these issues. Um, So I I really do sort of praise you for that. But just a couple of things that you mentioned there that, that I just want to quickly touch on there's a kind of like line you could perhaps take from what you've said there which perhaps I think some people would be guilty of falling into and listen I, I I will say undoubtedly in my life I've probably been guilty of this and I'm sure lots of other people would whereby you know perhaps in your head you think well, something you're saying isn't necessarily racist in the sense that you as an individual don't intend it as racist um and you think that like you say it's just banter or you can say something or you can make a joke about if it was a chapati you would have caught it um do you think that we're in a a kind of a, a bit of a watershed moment where perhaps hopefully one of the good things that can come from all of this is that you know the realisation to, to some individuals that actually just because you think something isn't intended as racist or as a way to insult someone, that that making a, you know, a joke about someone's culture or their background actually isn't acceptable, especially by the standards of now. Um, and do you think that that's, as I say, a sort of watershed moment where perhaps people will realise that, you know, you just can't say that sort of stuff anymore, even if you don't mean it as racist, because at the end of the day, it's, Just because you don't intend something, it doesn't mean that someone won't interpret it that way.
0: I won't give a yes or no answer. I'll, I think I'll explain what my thoughts are on this because, again, it's something that I'm quite passionate about. So I remember when the Black Lives Matter protests, especially online, were really like, you know, were really active. And I think I had a conversation with someone who isn't on social media. Um, So then their thing of, you know, there, there, there was a lot of really good information, education, awareness, and just points for people to have moments of self-realisation just going on in that period. And it was, it was an amazing, amazing period because uh, I've never seen things so active before. I've never seen people not from a certain community sharing things about a community that they're not a part of um, and people genuinely empathising with, you know, like in this case, it was black people uh which which was incredible but then i remember having a conversation with someone not on social media and they were like i don't see the point of these protests and all that sort of thing because it's a case where people protest and then soon after um things just become the same um and then i had a conversation with them i was like yeah but you're not on social media like all of these things going on like i've got friends from school days and these these are good guys as well just like Azim Rafiq said about Joe Root and being one of the good guys, like, you know, he'd be there, but he didn't say anything. But, you know, I've got good guys who, even mates who made a few jokes here and there back in the day. Um, Now, reading books on like anti racism and how they can be better, how they can, you know, just essentially things like this. And then also, just now I feel like all these things, like you said, I think people are realizing that these things aren't okay what we did before isn't okay. And like, you know, obviously there is a there is a shift, but it's a shift in the right direction. And I think the main thing is after, the, you know, after the Black Lives Matter movement was really going on and it was really active, though it's still going on, but then, and now with the Azima with stuff and people speaking about South Asian discrimination and stuff like this, I just know that in school, there's going to be less kids being called the N word and the P word. And for me, that's an absolute, absolute win. And it starts all really then. Like, obviously, we can change, you know, in the older generation, I think people are realising too, uh, not older, but you know what I mean, in, in the old uh, older generation, there's less things being said and people are being more careful. Even in, like, my generation and maybe, like, you know, that older gap, there may be some people whose views haven't changed, but they're afraid to speak because they know there's consequences for the things they'll say. People, like, you know, that's also not a bad thing. People should be scared of saying the wrong thing. Like, racists should be afraid of being racist. There's a difference between having opinions and whatnot and just being racist. Like, you know, it's it's happened with other areas of discrimination where there are laws put in place so that people aren't allowed to say things. And it starts there. Like, people aren't allowed to say something. And then later it becomes, you know, a norm in society where even just generally, culturally, just societally, people stop saying things they aren't meant to say. And that is a good thing. But then hopefully my thing is, is whether in our generation, those generations above, if people aren't saying things because they've learned it's wrong genuinely or whether they think they aren't allowed to say it for legal reasons or because their words will now be frowned upon, you know, that's that's a good thing. But just in the in that younger generation of kids at school, I know that like I said, less people are gonna be saying these things they shouldn't say. A, because they shouldn't say it and they're told they shouldn't say it. B because they actually understand the words and C their parents will actually be educating them. Cause that's where it all starts and being like, oh like, you know, to your son, daughter, you shouldn't be saying this, you shouldn't be saying this. Cause I can say, even myself, I've learned a lot. Like I've got a really close Nigerian friend. Um, and he's taught me a lot about things I should be saying and I shouldn't be saying and just understanding the meaning behind some of the jokes that like, you know, that people generally used to commonly say. And now they're things I just don't, you know, I'm, I'm much more careful of. Um, but that all, it all really stems from education and that was ignorance on my side. So then if, you know, if I was ignorant on my side, I understand people being ignorant on the other side. Uh, but then there is a big difference between excusing things. From ig- due to ignorance and just being nasty.
1: You talk obviously there about sort of the the difference between kind of ignorance and 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 you know hateful speech or b- being nasty or you know uh, causing deliberate offence. Um, I just wanted to kind of link that into perhaps a little bit about you know as it pertains to cricket and and with Rafiq and a couple of the things that he said obviously some of the things that he's experienced are you know both both sides of that line and obviously it's not as clear-cut a thing as saying "Oh, what's the difference between you know banter and racism as we've just said I think people are starting to realize that um, you know neither is acceptable um, absolutely but he mentions there about you know some of the things he's experienced and, and, and saying that sort of cricket is institutionally racist. And I think if you if you sort of look at that um, as as a player of sort of South Asian descent, um, would you agree that's something that you think that permeates down into the grassroots game? Um, or is it a case of perhaps it's it's more a little bit of ignorance on people's part and perhaps some of the comments and the jokes that they say are a little bit more prevalent at the grassroots game? Or you know, would you say that there is genuine racism at, at the grassroots level?
0: I think growing up, and not, not to blow my own trumpet, but like at school level and club level, I'd say I probably got less than maybe the average Asian kid because I was one of the better players. Um, and I think... I think that's quite normal, where that would that would be the case. Um, but then I've had other friends message me because I've, I've posted that I was going to be doing this podcast speaking about cricket, and that they maybe got they maybe got a bit more sick. Um, and even for the like, you know, the people who did experience you know racism in grassroots cricket, they generally experienced it when they were one of the younger lads. Like I've got a mate who told me he was again he was one of the better players at school, but this was when he was younger. Um, he was like, he said he was on tour on a cricket tour with school and there was news of a terrorism incident. And an 18 year old captain who now plays professionally was like, Is that one of your lot? Which is just unbelievable. And I think he might have been 15 at the time. So he was like, You know, luckily the other lads in the team backed me and said it was unacceptable, but it just goes to show the ignorance and casual racism present in the game from even that young age. I had an incident. Uh, when again, I'm not going to play. Mention the team we're playing against, but I'll mention the team I was playing for. So I was playing for Macclesfield. We were batting first. You know, I was I was you know in for quite a while, and then again, sorry to mention the p-word, uh, but I'll just say it for context of the story because just to add weight. So then I hit their hit their leggy for a few boundaries, and then he starts giving me like you know packy this, packy that, this that whatever. Um, and when I'm batting, I stay quiet. I don't really tend to say much because I kind of focus. So then, you know, I just, whatever. And then we came in to bowl the second innings. And then I was opening the bowling. And then I bowled both of their openings. And then that guy came in um, who was, you know, giving me the racist stick in the first innings. And then I bowled a few. And then I think I bowled a short one. And I was bowling pretty quick that day. And then he comes down the track and he's like, oh, mate, I'm... I just wanted to say like, you know, I'm really sorry about what I said earlier. <laughs> I was thinking what? <laughs> and then I just ignored it. And then I just go to the lads and this is when I'd like crossy and these lads. And I was like, oi lads, oi, mate, the guy, because obviously I pulled him up, and I was like, oi lads, you just said sorry. So the rest of the game, everyone's just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. So then the rest of that game, that was what was going on. And whenever we played that guy again, like that would be going on. So then, I think essentially, like you know, all of that stuff happened. It did happen at club level, uh, but then I was quite lucky with the lads I had around me. But then I think, systemically speaking, as your kind of question was more focused on, Nasser Hussain said this was in I think ninety nine. Um, he he called for like Indian and Pakistani fans to support England instead of the country of their origin, um, and he said he was disappointed by the amount of support Pakistan and India have when playing in England. Uh, and that fans here should re-evaluate their loyalties and should aspire to play for England. So in reply, um, ex-Pakistan captain, now Prime Minister Imran Khan, uh, he wrote something in the paper uh, quoting him saying, his calls would be heard if those Asians felt they were a part of British society. If they do not, then they will not want to identify with those societies. In the case of Asians in the subcontinent, they will always identify with them, even though they've probably never been there. But at least they feel a part of that. Therefore, they will support that team. The only way Nasser Hussein's request would be right is if people feel that they are part of the British society more than they're part of the subcontinent society. I want to expand on that because I remember when I watched something about this and I found it really interesting. I did a bit, I did like, you know, a bit of a search of like which Asian cricketers can I remember who've played for England. It's like the guys I remember, I've got a little list of like, these are all kind of big names. you got Zafran Sari, probably not the the biggest name to start with, but he retired at what, I think early 20s because he wanted to pursue a further career in education. He was at Cambridge. He was a really good cricketer. He played young. Moyn Ali, obviously we know what he's gone on to achieve. Unbelievable. And he was, he got like the NBC Dennis Compton Award in 04, 04, 09, which is for like the best young player in that county. Ravi Bapara, again, high-quality player, same thing. I'll get on to Nasser Hussain in a minute, but then you got, like, Sajid Mahmood, Sakid Mahmood, uh, Monty Panasar, Samit Patel, Haseeb Hamid, Vikram Salanki, Mark Ramprakash, all these guys who were exceptional, exceptional. They weren't, like, you won't hear of any Asian cricketers who played for England who were all right, You like who didn't, who didn't have very prolific, county careers and i think that i think that says i think that does say a lot because like why is it a case where like even and the same with black cricketers you've got uh, michael carberry since mark butcher who played in 04 was the only british born black man to play test cricket for england which again like you know it's 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 amazing like with cricket especially you know how big cricket is in like south in in south asia like, how is there so few South Asian cricketers who are going on to play for England? So, like, I can even say for me, like, obviously, like, you know, I do, I do love English cricket. Maybe I did more when I was younger in like the 05, I think 05 was when my love for English cricket peaked. But then I think as I grew older a bit, I realized that like, I just found a lot of it a bit unrelatable. So, I'm like, how are there no like Asian guys playing? But then with any of the Asian guys who played for England, like Bapara, Moynali, Ali, uh, like, the Memuns I spoke about, Panasar, I felt such an attachment to them because I think also, and I think this is for any like South Asians in England as well, I think they realise how hard it is to get to that level when you don't look like everyone else. And I I don't know what anyone listening to this will feel like about me saying that, but that's honestly, all of us generally resonate with that. So maybe then dropping down into the county, that's more on like the international stage which I think is important. But then even on the county stage, like there's some counties which do with it better than others. Azim Rafiq was at Yorkshire, uh, which, you know, is is been spoken about in the news anyway enough. Uh, But there was even a bit in in 99. Sorry to just be dropping facts here and there. But like in the 99 World Cup, again, Imran Khan accused Yorkshire of failing its Asian community because the only Asian player to play there was Sachin Tendulkar in 1992. Which, again, is insane because you've got Yorkshire's the home of Bradford, which also is known as like Bradistan, because there's so many Asian cricketers. You've got the MCC University cricket teams for, I think, Leeds and Leeds Met is joint. And like Leeds is one of the MCC unis, which obviously has a lot of Asian cricketers. So how are there none of these guys playing for Yorkshire? Again, it's I, I just I just find it insane like these cities which have got such densely populated asian communities of course they've got so much cricket like look at me i was i was i was born with a bat and ball in my hand is i just find it insane that you've not got more people playing at that level so yeah miles that's my views on kind of the higher level when it comes to a club level it's a bit different and it also is a bit different with some of these counties too but like at a club level like i can say for myself like maybe i experienced less because i was always one of the better players without blowing my own trumpet but at like club level and school level i was i was captain of my school growing up i was captain of my club growing up both till both until like i was about 16 17 so i guess maybe i didn't experience as much then because it doesn't make sense who's gonna in your own team and whatever who's gonna discriminate the captain it, it makes no sense uh, but again i have to say at that point props to my school and my club for giving me that opportunity.
1: Hearing you talk about that um, and sort of relating it back to you know the grassroots level and in, in in your experiences there personally, would you say that perhaps one of the differences is that at a grassroots level, if if a player of of an, from an ethnic minority, using a really broad term here, um, mm-hmm. is involved in a team. Um, there's obviously that camaraderie and that acceptance within the team, or at least you would hope, which is, by the sounds of it, what you've personally experienced. But would you say that the the dangers or the issues that arise um, at a more grassroots level come from opposition players, and that's perhaps where our our focus should be in terms of um, you know inappropriate language or you know misguided banter or indeed just plain racism um would you say that that's perhaps where the difference might lie between some of the stories and the experiences that Azim Rafiq has had compared to say yourself or you know anybody in your position at, at a more grassroots level
0: I think a lot of it depends on your environment Miles like let's say at Mac like I had one experience where um, I actually forgot about this, but one of the lads messaged me when I posted a story saying, has anyone got any like racist like experiences in cricket they'd like to like, you know, let me know about so I can share them? Um there was an incident at, at Mac where one lad said something racist to me. And then my line was always like, you know, people talk about things are changing now. My line back then was always if it was funny, I I actually look back at things and I think I was too lenient. Uh, but my line was always that if it was funny, um, I was okay with it. Uh, or like if I found it funny. If I didn't find it funny or if I hinted, hint, like if I um, could detect any hint of malice, uh, then I had a problem and I'd call out the issue. So then I remember the cricket club. Someone said something malicious to me. This is in junior cricket. I told the coach and at the time my coach was Paul Dickinson uh, and he came down on the kid like a ton of bricks, as he should. So then, like I said, I was personally, I was quite well protected uh, at club level and the same at school level. Any incidences I reported to school were very seriously dealt with. So again, I was quite lucky. But then I think it depends where you are, because like I've got friends maybe at other schools, um, who or like other schools, other clubs who weren't as well protected. Again, I've got I've got a mate who told me that his his dad was the coach at a cricket club. Um some of the kids would mock his dad's accent, like his dad was Indian, would mock his accent. Um, And even the parents would laugh, which is is unbelievable. I've got a mate who said at school, there was news of like a terrorism incident and an 18-year-old captain who now plays professionally. This is at school level. Uh, The captain was like, is that one of your lot? So, you know, that happening from a senior player is quite a lot to like, to obviously hear. And you can't say as much back as maybe I personally would it's different but like, I never had someone older than me saying something that like you know overtly racist so I can't really say at that age how like you know I would have maybe felt um so there is a lot present there but uh, opposition players wise as you mentioned ish it depends again like Miles I think again I was quite lucky most of the time that I was like one of like you know, the as in, I was captain of the team, so I guess I probably dealt with less than I would otherwise. I personally was surrounded with good lads, um, but just cricket wise, I didn't maybe experience as much racism as others would. But I've had other mates again saying getting called the P word and the slips, um, even me and them, like, we never like there's always a the thing of being like, oh, shabash, shabash, like, which means like, well done. Uh, in urdu like you know after hitting boundaries which is fine we've never minded that but i think it's when people start taking the mick like, there's a thing of like there's a fine line between like enjoying embracing and celebrating culture like saying shabash and things like this and then just taking the mick when you just start saying the words wrong if that makes sense so again these are those fine lines which i think are am becoming a bit more clearer now
1: it's really interesting you, you, you say that there. There's a couple of things I want to uh, sort of pose to you about what you've just said, if that's okay. Um, firstly, you mentioned that story where obviously, sadly, you've, you've experienced, um, well, absolute racism, not even, you know, banter or whatever from someone um, sort of calling you the P-word in a game. I guess my question to you would be, at the time you reacted or didn't react the way that you did. And, and obviously, um, it's really pleasing to hear that, you know, you told the rest of your teammates and, you know, everyone was backing you up, um, and all the rest of it. And, and I suppose for me, it's, it's quite, um, it's quite opening to hear you say that actually the, 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 the recourse from that situation was that when he came out to bat, he got a load of stick back. Um, you know, which in some senses is is good. And I can hear that, you you know, you enjoy that memory to to some extent for that reason. But I guess my question would be, if if we look at it by today's standards, would you like to think that if you were in that position now or another player from South Asian or or an ethnic minority was in that, that situation, would you hope that you or anybody else would deal with that situation differently rather than perhaps not saying anything and then letting your, your, your cricket do the talking?
0: It's a mix. It's a mix, Miles. Like, maybe now, I was going to get into this a bit further about what I think we need to do. So I will I will save that for a bit later because I think that's probably better to speak be out at the end of this. But maybe there is a part of me which would just inform an umpire. But then at the same time, I think there is, there is, there is a part of you which, like, uh, for me, I was, Like, confident enough to be like, I know I'll let my cricket do the talking. At that part, I kind of just wanted to do that anyway, because I was like, you know, I'll take it out on the pitch. But even then, obviously, I think there should be protocols in place of what you need to do in those situations, especially as a kid. Because I think at that age, even looking back at it, if I'm being totally honest with you, as a young kid at that time, I think I did. And we don't, and I think I felt better for that because all my friends supported, sort of thing. So at that time, if I'm being totally honest and I'm not trying to be professional or anything like this, I'm actually quite happy with how that unfolded because it's it felt like a bit of a, it felt like one of those moments where like I saw justice kind of unfold in front of my own eyes, if that makes sense. But then maybe if that happened in, not even maybe, if that happened now, it would be different. Like I think there would be two cases. A, I would like report it because now it's different and I know things would be taken seriously. Not that I don't think it would have been then. It was just I decided not to say anything at that point. But I would have probably dealt with it a bit differently now. But even then, I probably still would have told the lads and I would have expected the guy to get sledged. So it's it's a, <laughs> if I'm being honest, Miles, I think it's a mix of both.
1: Yeah, I, I thought, you know, that's probably what you would say. But I guess you just hope that in this day and age that, you know, any time somebody makes a comment like that it's it's reported and and dealt with 100
0: even even then like if there was a post like the thing is miles actually i didn't actually report anything to the coach then and i haven't actually reported even generally like if i talk about my racist experiences at any institution i was at i reported very few but i only reported the ones that really maybe more so got to me which was less because i was quite thick-skinned just because of this like I think that kind of made me how I am. Like you know, my rule was always I'd always I I was always a loud kid. I'd always like you know I was you know big on banter and all that. So my rule was always I'll be twice as big a Muppet to you because I'd give you guys racist leeway, and that's kind of made me also who I am. That's I guess why I'm very jokey now, Uh, and also given me a thick skin. So I think maybe there's less instances I reported, and even now if you ask me what my memories. I think a lot of them I don't fully remember because I just dealt with them back then, um, and that was the best way I found to deal with it at that moment in time. But I'm, I'm, I hope that it's different now, and that kids don't have to feel they have to do that.
1: So, kind of touching on that, and 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 hearing about kind of your experiences and and some of the things that you know have happened to you, or indeed other people um, that you've mentioned. Um, Sort of taking this forward, and I know I mentioned earlier about whether this might potentially be a watershed moment. I mean, you hope that for for, for the good of the game and indeed society at large, not just for cricket, that, that this is a watershed moment, um, a bit like, you know, the Black Lives Matter. In your opinion, what would you say are the ways that we can look to move forward, not just as individuals and, and cricketers, but obviously as a society um, at, at large?
0: I actually had a conversation with someone, which I'll I'll bring to this because I think it's the best way for me to explain it. Around the time the Black Lives Matter movement uh, was very active, and obviously the protests were going on and everything, I had a conversation with an older person and an older Asian person, and they were saying that they don't feel these protests will do anything. Like they were like, "What's the point?" Like things people protest now, and then you know a week later things are forgotten, and things just get back to normal. So like. You know, I kind of gave the side back of like, I don't think it's the same because I think you're just watching mainstream news. It's, it's not the same as maybe things were before where protests maybe didn't carry the same weight. Because so I do think at a higher level, it's more difficult for things to change. But, you know, we have to focus on everything in our own space. And if we can make things better in our short space around us, then, you know, eventually more small spaces will improve. And that makes a bigger space and that those bigger spaces make a bigger space. And eventually things as a whole get better. So like going back to that time, because I just thought it was amazing. It was, it it is incredible. Like there was so many things shared on social media of like information, awareness, whether people were able and comfortable to protest in person, people were protesting online as well. So there was both sides of things and both sides carry as much weight in my opinion like, you know, it's important that people protesting these things in person, but also online, like, you know, your message may, instead of reaching that one person you speak to in person, may reach however many people with you have a network online. And even if one person listens, that's great. Like that's, that's what the goal should be. So, like, just looking at that time, like, I feel like it is all a bit of a watershed moment, as you said. Like, you know, I think things have changed where whether it's a case where people, A, uh, understand the meaning of things and the reason behind things. Like, you know, people understand, say, what the N-word means. To speak about the P-word, which I'm just going to mention the meaning just in case nobody knows. So just so, Paki translation is, not translation, but the reason people use the word was they used to use it in Paki bashing, uh, in quotations uh, in the late 60s and in the early 70s. So there is a negative connotation with the word. There's traumatic like memories with the word and generally when the word is said it's not you know it isn't even if it's said in in with like positive intentions it's just a word that shouldn't be said so it's not the same as brits as people confuse it's not the same as aussie it's not just a short form of pakistani but again even now since the Izim rafiq speaking up people are speaking more about these things so whether people say these words less because of Education and awareness and all that sort of thing, or if they say these things less, not just this, but other things less. Whether they say them less out of fear that they'll be called out for it, or ostracised for it, or face any legal complications, or like anything at work. Whatever the reasons are that people are being less racist, it's good. It's a good thing. So, like, I feel like in our generation, the older generation, like I've got friends who maybe back in the day, they, you know, maybe bantered a bit more with racist banter back in the day and these were good guys i'll I'll be very clear but now who've like told me that they're reading anti-racism books and things like this like that's amazing like they're actually making an effort to understand things now because like again these are good guys who genuinely didn't mean anything from it but you know now they they won't make the same mistakes and i'm sure they'll teach their kids the same things that what these things mean and that's really the steps forward but then also on the other side you've got people who probably don't agree with the things that are being shared people are being like no if i want to say the p-word i'll say the p-word but then maybe aren't saying things in public now because they know they will face the repercussions for it so i also think that's a good thing i think with all these sorts of things whether it be due to understanding due to education due to awareness due to fear whatever it is if people stop doing a bad thing that's a good thing so like these things tend to then carry on into future because like i think now For me personally, I think the main thing from all of this is like on social media, especially you've got all these kids at school who like, you know, they will have maybe read or watched a video or whatever, like, you know, digestible content they have to learn about these important issues that they won't say the same things. They won't repeat the same things. They won't stay quiet when they see the same things happening. They'll speak out and they know that it's important to not... Just not be racist, but it's also important to be anti racist and stand up for these things when they see them going on, which is great. And also, like, even institutions, like I've said, my institutions took things very seriously. But then these institutions now, like other schools or clubs that maybe didn't look at Yorkshire cricket, you know, cricket, for example. Now, even if it's by force, they have to take these things more seriously. So, hopefully, you know, in the younger generations, things will change. In our generation, things are definitely changing. So, like, all in all, it's all very, 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 very positive. And I'm so glad these things are being spoken about.
1: Azzy, I just want to... uh firstly sort of say thank you so much for for taking the time to kind of talk about these issues and, and meet this challenge head on obviously it's something you're very passionate about as anybody that knows you can attest to and and for those that don't just listening to the words that you've said and, and the points that you've raised and the experiences that you've shared both personally and, and behalf on behalf of the people that you know um you know like i said i just really want to take the time to 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 credit you for that and and just to say um you know how how brave i think you are in, in dealing with these issues and, and facing them head on um you know on behalf of lots of people who perhaps don't have the opportunity uh, to have their voice heard um i know the club are obviously very proud of you um, and everything that you've achieved and and indeed um you know the messages and the things that you've said in this podcast from the club's point of view perhaps before we we wrap up and finish a bit more broadly um i know that um, we have been looking very internally at some of the things that we can do to to promote more inclusivity um, and and promote all the things um, that that we feel that we need to get better at, um, not just in the wake of of the Azim Rafik um, scandal, but just largely um, and wholly as a club. Um, are there any things? Are there any things that you feel like um, you know you can perhaps speak to that that we could be doing to improve as a club?
0: Like there's a Sky Sports segment about what they're doing for South Asian cricket and the ECB have actually put in a South Asian action plan which is amazing, it was put in place by Lord Kamlesh Patel who's Indian um, and this is just to create more opportunities for South Asian communities, increase involvement build relationships with South Asian communities and all this sort of thing which is great but obviously that's a, a higher level which you know hopefully things will improve and all that side of things on that But then I think generally, like I said, with the social media and your own personal space side of things, I think like Mac and with other clubs and other schools and everything, like, you know, we can follow guidelines and all this, of course. But if we can improve things in our own space, then if we make Mac a safer place and like, not that it's not a safe place already, but, you know, the most welcoming place it can be with all these sorts of things, then I think that's really the first step. And we don't worry about who's hired. We just... Worry about doing things as best we can in our own personal space. So, like at my university in Bulgaria, so like I organized sport over here. Um, and we had a racist incident. And at that time, we didn't have a protocol in place. So I think this maybe relates a bit when you asked, would you have done differently about that racist situation you had in a cricket match before? So then this was with football. We made a protocol, like, so we posted it. First thing was, you know, if there's an incident inform the referee second thing is the referee uh, has to inform the sports manager who is present which was myself or my colleague at the time the third was the match will be forfeited in favor of the team that has been targeted next was the antagonizing team will be banned from the rest of the competition and the last bit was that aim sport which is our organization would submit a formal report to the university for the matter to be officially dealt with so i think having like these clear protocols and especially if Mac developed one themselves. If I was, you know, A, if I was at the club, I would feel comfortable and I'd feel confident that A, my club take these issues seriously. And B, it's not just that they say they take it seriously, they're actually taking action to take it seriously. And they're showing it by having a formal process in place so that I'd know that if anything would happen, what will my club do? What will, what will the club I'm a part of do? Um, And also I'd be very proud to play for a club that are showing that they're proactive about these issues. And if I was a young kid at Mac again, um, not that I didn't anyway, I'd be gathering as many people as I could. But then, you know, if I was uh, like on social media nowadays, if I saw Mac have got this racism protocol in place to keep their young Asian players or their young, minority players safe and not just for racism this is for any form of discrimination i'd be so proud to join that club i'd be excited i'd be like oh okay this is a club i feel safe in this is a club we are proud of me this is a club we want to celebrate our culture and our diversity i'd be so proud to join that club um and i think if mac and if more clubs around and it doesn't always have to be like speaking about things like you know Azim would directly we can just take those issues of that someone's spoken about and just think what can we do to make our club better. And I think if Mac did something like that, it would make me even prouder of the club than I already am for like giving me an opportunity today to speak about this.
1: Fantastic, Azzy. I mean, like I say, I just really um give you a lot of credit for everything you've said. And I'm sure, you know, everybody will will really enjoy listening to, to what you've had to say and, and hopefully take on board um some of the cool. things that you said. And um, you know, it's something we as a club and individuals can can work towards so we'll be better at.
0: I'm I'm sure, like, yeah, Miles, like, even as a club, like, I have to say, like, I always felt very, very, very comfortable at Macclesfield. So, and Abbey College, but I didn't play cricket there. That was where I spent my last year. But all the clubs uh, I've been at um, and, like, you know, any institution I've been a part of, I've personally been really lucky. So, again, just want to say a big thank you to everyone there. But I remember, uh, like like I said, all my coaches, who took things very seriously. Even at school, like, my principal, he was so serious about racism. Any time that was before, you know, these things were as openly discussed as they are now. Um, so I felt so comfortable there because I had, again, I knew I was part of an institution that took these things seriously. So I hope more institutions can make their their people feel, feel that proud and comfortable to be a part of where they are from.
1: Azzy, before we uh, sort of head towards the end of the podcast now, if you've got any more sort of closing remarks or anything you want to say uh, before we head towards the end of the podcast?
0: Uh, Miles, you're so good at this. Um, I've had I've had a few lads message me uh just saying, like, you know, from Mac, uh, actually from other clubs as well, just saying that, you know, um Miles is Miles is class, isn't he? Like he's just doing some great work for the club and all this sort of thing. So Miles, the club is so lucky to have you. Uh it's unbelievable what you're doing. Um and just thank you again. Thank you to you, thank you to the club. Uh it's been really exciting. Uh, to do this and i'm really proud to have done it so thank you very much mate
1: mate you are far too kind and um as i say you know all credit to you must go to you for this for this podcast and just covering not only your you know rich cricketing history but also a very very important issue that's transcends far beyond cricket and is you know um something that as as we have discussed we we all need to sort of look at ourselves and 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 look at the ways that we can improve so heading towards the end of the podcast, mate, it's uh, it's always pretty typical that I um I ask people what their, their sort of plans are for the coming year and, and next season. And the, the big burning question's got to be, Azzy, are we gonna see you back at Victoria
0: Road? Miles, I'm not I can't say yet, mate. Um as in how's the first team captain not called me up yet? Um so I guess I'm waiting on that and then we'll go from there. Need to need to speed terms and conditions and everything.
1: I mean, obviously by the sounds of it, mate, we'll have to be putting in some sort of application for special dispensation for you to play as a a fully-fledged international cricketer. I mean, we might not even be allowed to have you.
0: Miles, you know the terms I've told you. I was Cross's captain back in the day. You know what it's going to take to get me back.
1: So the the coup is coming, is that what you're saying?
0: I mean, your word's not mine, Miles.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, you've got my vote. I mean, I won't put that on the air, but you've got my vote.
0: (laughs) I'm glad, mate. I'm glad.
1: (laughs) Other than that, mate, uh, sort of uh, pulling your leg a little bit, slash applying a bit of pressure because, of course, we do want to see you back at Mac. Um, What are your plans for the sort of coming year um, and, you know, into into next season?
0: As in, first things first, um, I really, really want to try and, you know, play for Bulgaria again. Um, Yeah, I was meant to go on tour to Romania in October uh, trained really hard, went on like a bowling course uh, before that, which was amazing. Uh, course called speed camp if any kids are listening who want to bowl quicker. Um, so I did that, worked hard um, and then I got picked for the tour and then I pulled my hamstring like three days before. Um, so I was a bit gutted about that. So then really and truly the goal is that's the main goal. I want to get picked and play again uh, and also bat a bit more. I think I'm a bit used to batting in the longer format. So now cricket's really moved in that 20-over direction and also all the Bulgaria cricket we play is T20 cricket. So I want get, to get in the side um, as more of a regular and more permanently um, and see if I can continue playing when I come to England. I don't know what the situation will be. Uh, but obviously, club cricket-wise, uh, Miles, it's going to have to depend where I am. Um, if I'm up north, uh, then obviously, you know, uh, I've, I've been playing some cricket at Mobley recently. Great guys too. I have to mention them. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed on a Mac podcast, but obviously Mac as well. Um, great, great lads. I'd love to play with Crossy again. I've not even tried out the new Mac nets yet, which I have to do. Um, and then obviously it depends where I am. So uh, Miles, we'll wait and see, mate. We'll wait and see. But I'm I'm just excited to get playing regular cricket again
1: fantastic as well look as i say it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast not only to cover you know all of the issues and, and things that we've just discussed but also to kind of go back over your you know your early cricketing life and, and some funny stories and onions and sandwiches and god knows whatever else so thanks so much for taking the time to, to join us as And look forward to seeing you soon no doubt
0: thank you mate thank you very much miles
1: mate we'll see you soon all the best
0: all right mate take care <laughs>